This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. This will be a very useful episode for anyone interested in measurement of sedentary behavior and physical activity in children. As we are discussing our new ebook, we have been writing. And we have a great guest for this episode. Our guest has done her bachelor's degree in health sciences and technology in ETH Zurich in Switzerland. And she's finishing her master's degree in biology of physical activity in University of Uvascula in Finland. And currently she's working as an intern at this very podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest Ugne Kari. Welcome, Ugne. Thank you. Hi. It's it's so nice to be on this podcast after listening to it for several months. Yeah. So now you see behind the scenes how this all is being done. So so you have, I saw your CV and you have been in many places in Singapore, UK. Could you tell a little bit more about this? Yeah. So my um, childhood took me to many places, uh, first because of my dad's work. um, And then I decided to go to UK when I was 16 to go to boarding school. Um, And I think I'm very comfortable in the international field and hence also very comfortable in the world of science because it is also very international. And uh, now I've been in Finland for the last few years. Yeah. And how was how was being in Singapore? when you were <laughs> very hot and humid <laughs> um obviously it was uh rough to go as a teenager um i think not the easiest time when you're also going through many other transitions but i've definitely gained a lot from it um i haven't been there i've heard they have really good food is it true it is true although as an 11 year old i shied away from a lot of it <laughs> and it was only towards the end of my time that i started exploring and I was like wow this is actually amazing yeah sounds sounds good so we can then move to the ebook that we've been we've been writing together and for listeners this will be available for free I will tell in the end of the episode and also in the podcast description how you can can get the ebook so we could go through the ebook uh, kind of chapter by chapter we can go the basic overview of each chapter and then maybe if there was some challenges writing it and in in some chapters we can also predict the future a bit that how it will probably change in in five to ten years as the field is is moving quite fast forward so first first there's there's an introduction chapter is there anything like how did you approach this this work when when starting to write this this ebook? Um, I actually wrote a review on measuring sedentary behavior during this last semester so a lot of the information I actually took from that review but then there was still a lot to learn about kids specifically um, so it kind of starts with general information about sedentary behavior physical activity which is the same for kids and adults um, and then moves a little bit more into children and adolescents and for that I also looked at um, other papers at the guidelines by WHO and so on. 
Yeah, and in if if you think it fast in a way, you can think that it's the same measuring children are just kind of smaller humans uh, that you just put the device in the same place and it would be same. But but there is quite many things that we need to consider when working with with children. I had a podcast recording with Dr. Matteo Crotti, and he said that some children start to chew the the wristband if it's kind of nice chewy material. So even the materials need to be correct. You need to think how do you encourage children maybe adolescents don't want to wear something that is doesn't fit their style maybe they are kind of rebellious and it's difficult to get them to measure and also we need to think that children's patterns are different like they they move sporadically and also their sleeping positions if we talk about small children toddlers they can for example sleep in really odd positions or they can sit upside down when i was a small kid i was usually sitting upside down in the sofa i don't know it was more fun in that way So I think there's there's actually quite many things that we need to consider when measuring these things with children. Yeah, and then the it's it starts with the subjective methods. What what did you find out? How was the subjective methods methods with, with children? That, uh, there are certainly limitations, and most of them have to do with especially smaller kids um, can reliably estimate their own behavior. Um, and also, if you talk about a certain age, they also can't write. Um, so there are definitely limitations. There. Yeah, and I think many times with the subjective, it is important to know that if you use kind of retrospective, that you need to remember, for example, one week after, exactly. it's much much more unreliable than if you if you actually do it, for example, right away that you detect movement and and then you ask like, what are you doing? And right away, so but also two small children, you cannot cannot do that. Was there anything uh, challenging writing this subjective methods part? Was there good amount of literature available i think it. quite good um but as with anything you know you could research for months and still not see the end of it so it is very much also an overview a brief introduction um yeah And I think many times we think now that as we have objective or device-based measurements, people kind of think that we shouldn't use at all subjective. But with subjective, we can really collect large samples with cost-effectively, so we can get much bigger participant groups. And I think it's also good to know that uh, we can also get the context of physical activity by asking. So where did you do the activity? Was it in school, sport club, free time, or who did you do it with? The accelerometer, for example, we don't know these these things, and also with questionnaires, we can ask about emotions or feelings related to doing certain activity, which might be very very important when it, when we think about lifelong participation in in physical activity. And actually, at, at Fibian, we are we are lo- we have launched our Fibian My Move uh, app, which is questionnaire based. It's asking about activity type and emotions related to doing that. So that's that's something we have brought into the subjective measurements um how how is how was the objective methods how did you find writing that that chapter that was a bit more my wheelhouse because um my major is actually in biomechanics so i'm a little bit more familiar with the device-based uh device-based methods um yes and then especially when it came to accelerometers um that was quite easy to write also because there is so much information on it out there nowadays since it is so popular and as we already mentioned before like with kids they move so sporadically so these type of methods really have um they're very valuable when being used with kids because they are able to capture those types of movements on a second by second basis 
And and how did you find, for example, there's a lot of different options where to wear the accelerometer device. How was the literature about this? I think lately we have been moving for the thigh measurement, but I think most of the studies with children are either with the wrist worn or waist worn. How what 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 was said in the in the literature about the wearing process? Um, for example, for adolescents, um, as we mentioned before, they're a little bit more picky about what they like to wear and how they like to present themselves. So they prefer prefer the wrist to the waist because they find it less embarrassing um, and then with all of them um, it just it sometimes overestimates it in a certain age group and underestimates it in another so just very important there to read the literature if you are going to measure a specific age group specific population group and to really go and compare it to the different studies out there. Yeah, I think it's it's an important considerations. If you need accurate data about sedentary behavior, then I would actually advise using the thigh worn because then you actually can uh, measure the posture, the sitting or standing. And I think that's that's important. Many studies are using using the wrist worn. It's it's kind of easy. People have used to it. So I think it's also a good option. I don't know. I think waist worn is probably a little bit more more challenging than wrist. It's not very practical to wear it many times um how how was the other objective methods what did you learn about them writing it and and what would be recommended what not be recommended and so yeah so um gps trackers are very useful if you're interested in how kids um, or adolescents are commuting to school for example um and there are actually algorithms that that can automatically detect are they walking are they cycling or are they taking the bus or being driven Uh, the limitation of them is that they cannot be used indoors so especially good for um, commutes but not necessarily for something else heart rate monitors even though they seem like um, a good idea and to a certain extent they can be they are not good at capturing the lower and upper end of intensity and they always require personal calibration and then with pedometers those used to be very popular um, but they are largely being replaced nowadays by I think especially the accelerometers. I think heart rate monitors they are probably a little bit challenging to use especially with the chest chest belt wrist ones are a little bit easier but you need to have it very snugly on the wrist and and wearing it longer times kind of whole day measurements I think it might provide it might create problems with the skin irritation but I think if if you need act more accurate intensity detection, especially like exercise that what is kind of heart rate, I think it might be good to use it as as a one more method. Maybe you can measure just one day and then you know that when the kids are playing outside, the heart rate is about this, which you might not get with the with the other other methods. And you mentioned the GPS trackers that they work quite nicely outside. Now there's a new technology which works with Bluetooth. And kind of beacons, uh, Bluetooth receiver, which which can be with the accelerometer, which has a Bluetooth that it's measuring the distance between between the beacon and the and the accelerometer. I had a recording with uh, Professor Bronwyn Clark about this, but um, what she had tried, I think the maturity level of technology was not yet yet there. It was not very good data, but I think quite soon we can we can actually have nice devices that can can detect 
distance from the beacon inside. So it could be, for example, in a school class that you have in a certain point, maybe two beacons, and then you know where the persons are in relation to that beacon. But yeah, that, that remains to be seen. Do you see any anything changing in the future? This is a little bit speculation, but how do you think this will be in the second edition of this this ebook in in some some years i think we're just gonna keep seeing improvements especially within the field of objective method um as we kind of mentioned for example the heart rate monitors are good to be combined with a different type of measuring and i think that applies to most of the methods they all have obviously their weaknesses and strengths so it's good to combine them and there are nowadays also trackers that do combine different sensors i think that's going to continue to grow and expand and um and as you said like kids are also different from adult um it's important to kind of tune into that and adapt our methods to that and i think as we do more research we will learn more about how um and then certainly also on the side of like data analysis um with the rise of machine learning i think we're also going to see changes in that hopefully better um estimation yeah and i think it's a good point you mentioned about combining different measurement methods it might be subjective and objective or two different objective methods or device based and i think now it's quite a bit that sedentary behavior and physical activity for researchers sleep is kind of a second thought that maybe we can measure it with this method and they use very simple simple ways of measuring sleep and then you have sleep researchers who don't know much about measurement of sedentary behavior and physical activity and they haven't come together very closely i think there's this need for collaboration between sleep and physical activity researchers and they can really take advantage of each other because it's part of 24-hour cycle and it's it's important to think about the interactions and if you sleep more it will be replaced from something in sedentary behavior and physical activity and and vice vice versa and and i will be doing more episodes related to sleep research uh, soon that we can get actual sleep researchers to tell about uh, studying sleep and i think it will be interesting for many physical activity researchers. Yeah, and I, I think one maybe one more future thing is that now accelerometers can be just six to seven grams in, in weight, so they are pretty light. And most of that is battery and the battery technology is also going, uh, developing quite fast with electric cars and need for these kind of things. So I think in some years we will be probably in few grams for the device and that's, that's very little. And now the thickness is 4.5 millimeter, the, the thinnest devices. So I think in the future that you can almost integrate it into a plaster, into a patch that you don't need actual device, but it's just in the patch. And I think that that will make the measurements easier. And especially with children, because they there's a little bit more, more problems wearing and the devices in relation are much bigger for children than, than for adults. Yeah, and and then there is a chapter That's consumer true, yeah. versus research grade devices. Could you tell more about this this chapter? Yes, I can. Um, so consumer grade devices are those that you can just get as a regular person, um, Fitbit, the Apple Watch, and so on. There are also nowadays some that are specially made for kids, so they have like colorful wristbands, fun designs. Um, often they're also quite inexpensive or relatively inexpensive compared to. Other 
other devices that you get as a researcher. So it can seem like that would be a good choice. However, especially if you're doing longitudinal studies, they are not necessarily a great choice because um, these companies can change the way that the data is analyzed at any point in time and not let you know, which means that um, data collected at different points in time cannot be directly compared. Also, maybe you want to analyze the data a little bit differently um, than the uh, company would. Also, you don't know how they're doing it because those algorithms are proprietary. And so it is advised that if you are yeah, doing scientific points, research and, that you and I, I had the experience devices. we did uh, when I was working in Shanghai as a postdoc. We did one study which was validation of different wrist-worn worn devices, mainly consumer devices. We had also researched great devices. But you, when you're using the consumer device, you are like, ah, this is easy. The data goes automatically to your phone and you can see it. But then when you actually have different participants and you need to have different background information, so you need to create own account usually for each of the participants and you create that usually in the in the researcher's phone, the study phone in a way, because otherwise participants would need to install a lot of different apps in our case. And actually getting the data out from the application is, is very difficult. And in our case, I think we lost almost 50% of the data because the connections didn't work. We couldn't download. There was, it, was, it was a lot of work. We worked a lot to get the data. And I think in the and we ended up losing like 50% of the data and publishing that publishing that paper was crazy because all the reviewers were just kind of saying that how bad did you do this how how can you lose so much data <laughs> but it was just that the connection didn't work when there was many devices we couldn't download the data for some reason so i would discourage against that it was it was not not nice yeah so that that was not not nice to do so i think it's a good good point how how do you see do you see any changes for this in the future or do you think this will remain the same? Like? I would hope actually that the research grade devices would become even more user friendly because I think that's what's so attractive about the consumer grade yeah, ones. That's yeah, that's a good I think point. That's and kind I, of I think it will go earlier. For. It was kind of just enough to provide a device for researchers, but now there's more competition and I think that's good because then you really need to make also think about the ease, ease of use and I think with the consumer Consumer devices, they will go forward pretty fast. Technologies, like now, most of them can measure heart rate from the wrist, which was not, I think, 10 years ago. You didn't have any devices that can measure heart rate from the wrist accurately. And maybe there will be sensors measuring blood pressure. Maybe you can measure something from the blood, something from the concentration of the sweat. So I think there will be a lot of interesting things. I think the problem still might be that if the algorithm are proprietary you still cannot use them but I think maybe the way is that the new technologies we can get to research great devices then from the consumer consumer devices make it cheaper to produce those things but that that remains to be seen how it will how it will go and then also with like the consumer grade devices they are so often updated you have like new models all the time so the science is constantly lagging behind a little bit and by the time a certain device is validated it might no longer be available and i'm not sure that's going to change and obviously that the device has been validated is important for research Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. 
This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.